Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Gabe, nice to meet you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it really means the world to me. Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you, of course. And we always love to get the podcast started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. Sure. So uh, Gabe Brown and I tell people I'm a rancher from near Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, I was born and raised in the city of Bismarck and Became enamored with production agriculture, uh, married my high school sweetheart, and as good fortune would have it, uh, uh, she was from a farm, and she had a couple sisters, no brothers, and so her parents were looking for someone to take over the family farm, and and uh, I was thrilled and excited to, to do so, her not so much, but... <laughs> Story goes, I learned to uh, farm ranch from my father-in-law, who was very conventional-minded, tillage, use of fertilizers, chemicals. So I went down that path. In 1991, we were able to purchase a part of the farm from my in-laws and uh, started farming conventionally. But one of the things, not being from agriculture, I'm always uh, trying to learn and I had read and studied about no-till. So 1993, we sold all of our uh, tillage equipment, bought a no-till drill, went 100% no-till. Then what really changed our lives, the years 95 through 98, we lost three uh, crops through three of those years to hail, one year to drought. And banker wasn't going to loan us money anymore. We were pretty far in debt. And I had to learn, okay, how am I going to survive without all those uh, expensive inputs? And that sent me on a journey of learning. And I met a lot of good people along the way and, and learned uh, what has now become known as regenerative agriculture, learned the principles and processes of how soils and ecosystems really function. So Leads me to today where now I spend the majority of my time traveling and educating others as to the power of regenerative agriculture. And uh, along with four of my business partners, we have a consulting firm, Understanding Ag. We're currently consulting on over 25 million acres across North America. And then we also have a 501c3 nonprofit called Soil Health Academy which is our education arm. And we educate tens of thousands of uh, farmers, ranchers, consumers, businesses, government entities as to the power that is regenerative agriculture. Yeah, awesome introduction, man. Yeah, and for anyone who's listening who's not aware of Gabe, he's one of like the leading voices on the regenerative agriculture movement. So it's really exciting to have you on the show. And I know you've talked about the principles of regenerative ag, and we'll get into that as time goes on. But one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, because I haven't heard in any of your interviews, is how um, your personal beliefs and your faith relates to your, um, essentially, you've, you've, you've started this mission to spread these principles around 
around the world and not only enrich the lives of farmers, but you're really fostering when you do practice regenerative agriculture and these no-till methods or this just general um, promotion of soil health, you're exploding life into the world like hasn't been seen before. Um, and I just wanted to ask you like how you kind of came to this. I don't know. It seems like you're on like a mission. Like where did it come from? Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and uh, faith plays a huge part in my life and my family's life. And uh, I was brought born and raised a Christian and, and brought up in the church. And, and during those years, those four years of, of natural disasters, I found great solace in walking my native prairies and just paying attention to God's creation. And I remember once I, I, I knelt and prayed in the prairie and I said, God, if you'll help me see, if you will help me see my way through this, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to help others and show them the power of your creation and truly try and make earth the kingdom of God. And so the, what amazes me is the, the more that I give and share with others, the better my life is. And so it just feeds on itself. And I'm very fortunate in that uh, the four business partners I do have and the uh, directors of the Soil Health Academy, we all share that common faith and that belief that, that God's the creator. And if we take care of that creation, good things will happen to all. I couldn't agree more. And again, many of the listeners might not realize I've actually been getting very interested in studying the Bible recently. And the story of Genesis is, is very interesting, where as far as I understand it, humans are made in the image of God specifically to be these stewards of the garden and promote life. That's almost what like the, the story says is the purpose of people. And then the whole point of the fall is that we all fail due to our own arrogance, thinking that we can do it better. And these principles of of regenerative agriculture seem to connect right into that. It's just get, making the land what it wants to be, whether you have a religious view or a secular view, it seems that evidence points to the fact that being stewards of the land, not only was it what humans are designed to do, but it gives you the most meaningful and fulfilling life. And I think regenerative ag is one of the best ways to do that. So that's why I love what you're doing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Cool. All right. Now, now on to the more, um, rough side of the conversation. I, I know that you went to Congress recently. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about that uh, and, and talk about what you learned from your experience testifying there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the more frustrating things and disappointing things I've done in a while, I was asked <laughs> to testify in front of the, the U.S. House Ag Committee. They were having a meeting on agriculture's role in climate change. And I was the only farmer who got invited to, to testify there. And, um, you know, it's, it's very limiting. They only give you a limited amount of time. And, and uh, so I decided what I would focus on is try to bring both sides of the aisle together and show them why don't we come together for what we like to call 
common ground for common good. And so I laid out the fact that as a society, 85 plus percent of us can come together and we can agree that, okay, there's too much carbon in the atmosphere. Uh, and, and nobody can dispute that. Now, uh, they may not be aware that a lot of that carbon came from our soils. And I travel extensively. I'm on hundreds of farms and ranches all over the world every year. And I tell people I've never, ever been on a single one, including my own. That's not degraded. We're all farming and ranching degraded resources because the carbon level in the soil was much, much higher historically than it is now due to our management or mismanagement is maybe a better word that carbon's now up in the atmosphere. So we can all agree on that. We can agree that we have water quality issues. All you have to do is look in almost any lake, river, watershed, look in the Great Lakes, the oceans, Gulf of Mexico. I mean, the amount of nitrates, phosphates, silt in the waterways is, is, is really alarming. We can agree on that. We can agree that there is a, a financial crisis in rural America. You know, uh, farming and ranching has one of the highest suicide rates of any industry. Okay, that, that's a crisis. We need to be aware of that. That low for profitability then leads to the decimation of our rural communities. You know, our rural communities are drying up. We can all agree on that. And then another thing I, I brought attention to is the fact that we have a human health crisis going on, frankly, all over the world. Uh, I'll just use the U.S., for example. U.S. spends more per capita on health care than any other country in the world, yet we're at the top or near the top in ADD, ADHD, Crohn's, Alzheimer's, autoimmune diseases, osteoporosis, and the list goes on. Okay, that shouldn't be. Well, I contend that a part of the reason for that is we no longer really have food. We have food-like substances. Mm -hmm. And the nutrient density of that food, these phytonutrients that our gut microbiome relies on for health, uh, is no longer in the foods that we consume. That relates directly to the soil. So why can't both sides of the aisle in Washington come together and realize that we all want the same thing? So it's common ground for common good and work with that. So that's what I tried to get across from them. So I was given a brief opportunity to speak, brief time frame. I did my presentation and then, uh, as did a number of others on the panel. And then uh, what happens is the, the representatives have a chance to ask us questions or voice their opinion. They each have five minutes. Well, what ensued was four minutes and 45 seconds of them telling their constituents what a great job they're doing. And then they would perhaps ask one of the panelists a question that uh, more or less reaffirmed what they were saying. So there was very little constructive uh, dialogue going on. Now, in saying that, I did have a number of those representatives reach out to me and ask me for more detailed information. But there was some that it was just blatant. Uh, there was one uh, representative from California who, after I spoke, said, well, I'm from the Central Valley of California, and, and 
most of the world, the country's produce is grown here and it's fantastic. And our soils are healthy. Well, he wouldn't ask me a question, of course, so I couldn't rebut then, but a couple of, of uh, representatives down the road, I, I was asked a question and I went back and I just said, uh, I have to go back and address the representative from California. I'm sorry, I've stood in the Central Valley many times. The soils are some of the most severely degraded in the world. Yet we don't <laughs> realize that. I just called them out because it's the truth. Hell and yeah. the only way we are going to have a positive impact on human health is by focusing on healing our soils. Yeah. 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 I think so. I think it was. It was a lesson in futility. I mean, I, I went through it, but it's no wonder Washington is called so dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's quite clear. And um, that's I personally try to stay in the private sector as much as I can, including in conversation on this show, because I think it's just more constructive. There's more more to get done. But you can't deny the the huge impact that they have. But I appreciate you you sharing your experience. Um yeah. So the way I see it is you've kind of built, you've been in, you've built a business with your own hands. You've learned from failure. You've put your faith in a higher power and knowledge has come back to you. And you've essentially, I mean, you've, you've talked to so many different people. Sounds like you're having an impact on lots of different farmers land. I wanted to ask you, how can we like bring hope and encouragement to the society when leadership is so lacking? Yeah, and, and I often get asked that question, okay, how do we change Washington, change the farm bill, everything? Now, this doesn't mean we don't try and do that. We do it through education. And so what can consumers do is the same thing. They need to educate themselves. So consumers need to really pay attention to where their food comes from, how it's grown, how it's raised. Ideally, we'd like them to meet their farmer or rancher and, and then source their products that are grown and raised in a way that enhances our ecosystem, not degrades it. And then the other thing is spread the message. Tell your family, your friends, and the consumers are extremely powerful. Now, I will say it's not you know, very easy sometimes to source products that are grown and raised regeneratively but here I'll, I'll put out a little a little uh message on your podcast here that's not known yet but we're about to announce that we are are starting a regen verification company to verify supply chains of food and fiber as to their regenerative practices and we're doing that because, for one, there's a lot of greenwashing going on. Companies are saying, well, we're sourcing regenerative products, but there's nothing really backing that up. And so as some of the leaders in this space, it, we found it incumbent on ourselves to say, okay, we got to step in and we've got to set the bar, the standard, so to speak, and see this happen. So watch for that announcement coming shortly. <laughs> Very cool. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Um, what does your typical day look like? What? How do you like distribute your time versus on? Are you still working on your own farm a lot? Are you doing mostly education work? Yeah. Thanks for asking. And uh, uh, my day is just uh, it, it's wonderful because I get to meet a lot of a lot of people. 
typically, uh, you know, I'm up by three or four in the morning and, and uh, uh, start the day by answering some emails that have to, that need to be answered. And then uh, typically I'll start on Zoom meetings by six or seven in the morning. Here we are. And do a number of those. Uh, if I'm at home on the ranch, which is typically only about 75 or 80 days out of the year now, oh, wow. uh, I will go outside and, and uh, go for a walk with my dogs and view the livestock and do what needs to be done. My wife and I have passed the ranch on to our son, so he's, he's in charge of it now. So I kind of just help him out uh, wherever, whenever I can. But I'm on a lot of podcasts, phone calls. I'll, I'll get between 200 and 400 emails and phone calls a day on an average day. So uh, trying to wade through all that and catch up on phone calls. Uh, I usually wind down with a podcast about eight in the evening and then pretty much answer emails and do work till midnight, one o'clock. That's about it. Lay down for a couple hours and start it all over again. <laughs> whoa well well gabe th- th- i appreciate you taking the time to join us here it really it means a lot to me honestly i'm delighted to have you um well I realize it's all it's all part of the mission and it's not like i don't enjoy doing it you know i get to meet a lot of wonderful people such as yourself every day and you know you you find stories then and people will We'll send you an email or call you and thank you for the difference you've made. And and that's all the reward I need. Man, I resonate with that a lot. Um, but on, on a more like pragmatic level, what have you found out of all the different projects that you're involved in has been the most effective way to speed up the adoption of these practices? Mm-hmm. Good question. And uh what we see is, I often get asked, well, if this is so good, why doesn't every farmer or rancher do this? And I say, well, it's easy. You don't know what you don't know. I didn't know till I was forced to, to look elsewhere for different solutions on how to make soils function. I didn't know. Farmers and ranchers, who's teaching them this? It's not being taught, for the most part, in our land-grant universities, It's not being taught by extension. It's not being taught very well through NRCS or any of the government agencies. So it's certainly not being shared by chemical dealers, fertilizer dealers, implement dealers. So where are farmers and ranchers going to learn this? Okay. So what makes understanding ag so successful is we mentor and our consultants are farmers and ranchers themselves. They've been through this. They know the practices. So because of that, they're able to go on a farm, walk the farmer or rancher through it saying, hey, here's what we're observing, what we're seeing. Look at your soil. Here's what, and then here's what yours looks like. Let's go over here to the, to the prairie or to the forest and show you what healthier soil looks like. And how do we change our soils? How do we improve that function? And in turn, by so doing, you're going to jumpstart the water cycle, the nutrient cycle. You're going to be able to lower inputs, increase profitability while producing food that's higher in nutrient density. Now, I enjoy doing that very much, but the majority of my time now is spent uh, 
bigger picture, working with organizations, with supply chains, large multinational companies, because they're going to move the needle faster and have a bigger scope. So, for instance, when we go work with the General Mills, we're working with their entire supply chain and helping to uh, move regenerative ag onto thousands of farms and ranches. But they need to be educated themselves. And that's where I spend the majority of my time now. So when you were experiencing this um, terrific, essentially failure, I think you, what do you call it? Like the four years of hell or something? Did you ever think long-term that you, if you're going to come out of this and become this amazing force for good? <laughs> well, I tell people those four years, you know, imagine losing nearly all your income four years in a row and going backwards and where you're young family starting out a lot of debt, young children. There was no doubt in my mind I was going to get out of it because failure wasn't an option in my mind. However, uh, uh, you know, there was times where it was difficult. All I was thinking about is how to pay the bills that day. I wasn't even thinking a week out. I just wanted to, to keep the banker at bay and, and uh, pay the bills at that time. And, and I was blessed. It turned around very quickly for us. Once we started to see our ecosystems heal, uh, we became very resilient to changes in moisture and temperature. And, and so did I think that it would lead to where it is today? No, but that, that was out of my hands. That wasn't anything for me to think about. And it's not like I'm searching for accolades. You know, those who know me know that I'd rather stay out of the limelight than in it. But sometimes I tell people that God looked down and found the simplest farmer. And he said, okay, here's the guy who has the mouth to spread the message. I'm going <laughs> to show him through these four years of natural disasters, how these principles work and let him spread the word. And, and I really believe it was my calling to do this. Yeah. Well, let's let's spread the word further, Gabe. How does it work? What makes soil healthy? Can you give me the principles if you wouldn't mind? Yeah. So the principles, there's six of them. The first is context. You have to farm and ranch in your context. I tell people there's a reason bananas don't grow in North Dakota. Okay. You have to try, you have to make sure and grow crops, raise livestock that fit your environment. That, that's just critical. So that's the first one. And then also, what's your financial context, your spiritual context, your community context? All those play a part. And context is different for each individual, you know, far, family. So you have to take that into account. The second principle, least amount of mechanical or chemical disturbance possible in nature, there's disturbance, you know, animals moving over an area, you know, it, it disturbs the soil, but we don't have this copious amounts of tillage in nature that we're doing in agriculture today. Same with chemical disturbance, you know, in nature, nature isn't putting copious amounts of fertilizer on. It's not going putting all these chemicals on. Yes, plants emit chemicals all the time, but not in the amounts that we're doing. Third principle is that of armor on the soil. 
you walk into a forest, walk out onto a prairie, you'll see you don't see much bare soil. The soil's always covered, and that's covered because it protects the soil. It's like a, when we get a cut and a scab forms, that's protection for our flesh. Well, we need to protect the soil, protect it from wind erosion, water erosion, evaporation, feed that biology in the soil. There's more microorganisms in a teaspoonful of healthy soil than there are people on this planet. Think about that. Yet how many of us think about protecting and feeding that soil microbiology? Fourth principle is diversity. Where in nature do you find a monoculture? The only places where mankind's action has caused a monoculture to proliferate or we've put it there, you know, and look at our farming and practices today. It's all monocultures. It's not how nature functions. The fifth principle is living root in the soil as long as possible throughout the year. And this is one where many farmers miss out. Uh, they grow a cash crop for a short time during the year, and then that land sits idle. Well, the only way we're going to take massive amounts of carbon out of the atmosphere and put it in the soil is through a living plant. Because plants through photosynthesis uh, take in CO2 out of the atmosphere, photosynthesis occurs, part of it's used for growth. The rest is pumped into the soil to feed biology and to increase those levels in the soil. And the final principle is that of animal and insect integration. Ecosystems do not function properly without animals and insects. Yeah, what have we seen? We've seen a tremendous loss in biodiversity and insect populations. Farms remove animals from the landscape and they're called evil. Oh, animals are evil. We, we need to get rid of them and we need to eat less meat. Well, nothing could be further from the truth for the fact that rich soils were formed over eons of time from the action of grazing animals. And it's the grazing of uh, animal biting a plant and then that plant having to pump more root exudates in the soil is what helps create a healthy ecosystem. So even for gardeners, they need to apply these six principles. Look at gardens today. What do most people do? They go rototill a garden. That's absolutely the worst thing you can do if you want to produce nutrient-dense food. What you does need that to get mean? away from that. Rototill. Rototill is to till up a garden, you know, to turn it over. You see the machine that tills it up and you just have bare soil all pulverized. You're destroying the home for biology. You're destroying the mycorrhizal fungi, the, the ability of that soil to infiltrate water. Absolutely the worst thing you can do if you're a gardener. Yeah. So those are the six principles in a nutshell. And the beautiful thing is, no matter where I travel all over the world, these principles work. And they work simply because they're constant in nature. Now, the tools we use may be a little different, you know, by that, I mean, we grow different types of crops, we graze different types of livestock, but the principles are always the same. So I can literally go on any farm or ranch anywhere in the world and create, grow healthy soil by adopting these principles. Yeah. And well, the one I wanted to dig into a bit more is the integration of animals, the benefits of mixed grazing, because I personally eat fully plant-based, but I've been studying um, the, you know, all the different actions you can take for climate. And it's become very clear to me that mixed grazing and you, and then um, producing livestock 
um, ethically is obviously objectively beneficial for the livestock, for the planet. And then it's not necessarily the case that eating meat is just objectively unhealthy. It's processed food. It's um, mm-hmm. high sugars that are really bad for you. So I kind of wanted to dig into that a bit more because the benefits of eating a plant-based diet are very good. But I think the main problem in the animal agriculture comes from the way we produce and mistreat these animals. Yes. And, and you know, that comes back to what we earlier talked about is what can consumers do? Okay. Consumers think uh, not all, don't get me wrong, but many consumers think that, well, animals are evil, we need them off the land, and then that would benefit uh, climate change. Well, no, as I just discussed, we need animals out there in order to uh, stimulate the ecosystem function, because it's many more, and I can spend literally hours talking about this, but the animal takes that bite off the plant. Just as I described, you're getting more photosynthesis, but also then it's the dung and the urine of the animal. It's the hoof action of the animal. It's that interaction. The gut microbiome in animals is closely related to the microbiome in the soil, closely related to our gut microbiome. So it's this interaction of all this microbiology that helps to create a healthy ecosystem. And then I often get asked, well, Gabe, but animals emit methane. Yes, they do. But the problem is people don't understand that there's methanotrophs. Methanotrophs are bacteria that consume methane. And in a, in a healthy environment out on pasture, there's methanotrophs. So as that animal is grazing and it belches, emits methane, the methanotrophs consume that methane. So it's not the cow that's the problem, it's the how. We put those animals in confinement, which is just wrong. As you said, animal welfare and how they're treated. It depletes all those benefits too. You just described the hooves, everything. Everything. We need the animals back out on the landscape. And then the other thing is... It's not only healthier for the animal, the protein that which they're producing is of much higher nutrient density and uh, more balanced for what our body needs. And I'll give you an example of that. So we've all heard of omega-6s and 3s and how important omega-3 is. Well, a human being should have an omega-6 to 3 ratio of 3 to 1 or less, okay? Average in humans in the United States is 19 to one, okay? Well, that, that's just horrid. Well, in a feedlot situation, when ruminants are fed grain, we often see omega-6 to three ratios of from 15 to one, all the way up to 55 to one if they're on certain diets. Now you compare that for instance, to my own ranch, where we've done extensive studies, the omega-6 to 3 ratio on the beef we produce is 1.3 to 1. We're actually healthier than wild salmon, okay? Wow. So we truly are producing a heart-healthy product by the way the animals are grazed and then the health uh, of the environment itself. 
So there's win-win-win situations for moving back to a more natural-based production model. Absolutely. Are are you familiar with asparagopsis as well? No, I'm not. So it's a it's like a seaweed that grows in the ocean, and if you put like half a percent of it into the feed of the cows, we just did a whole episode on this a couple like a week ago. Um, It decreases the methane production in the ruminant by like almost ninety percent. Yeah, and my my um, take on that would be, well, that's good if you stay in that production model we shouldn't be in. But if you move the animals out on the landscape where they should be, there's really no reason for that, you know, because they're going to be grazing and the methanotrophs are going to take care of it anyway. Interesting point. Fair enough. Thanks for sharing. Um, Any thoughts on how we can create a system that is uh, effectively monetizing nutrition rather than just like large yields of food? Oh, great question. I like this. So, Uh, Behind the scenes, my partners and I are working on a number of different projects, and one of these involves uh, phytonutrients and the study of how nutrient-dense, I'll just use that term broadly, certain products are. So what we're doing is we're studying, not, not we, but along with, we're part of the project, with Dr. Stefan Van Vliet, uh, Duke University Medical Center. We're studying through the use of a mass spectrometer. Dr. Van Vliet can uh, measure and quantify over 2,500 different phytonutrient compounds in grains, fruits, vegetables, proteins. And so we are doing very intensive studies where we're going out and collecting the plants, for instance, that animals are consuming. Then we're doing fecal samples on from those animals. And then when those animals are harvested, we're testing their proteins to show how much of it flows through. Then we're comparing that to animals that are fed in the in the industrialized feedlot type model. The the differences are just amazing. And uh, I have to say this, okay. I'm not opposed to plant-based proteins at all. I think they're an important part of the human diet, okay? But when you see companies saying that this plant-based protein is, this plant-based diet provides the same nutrition as beef, for example, that's just totally false. Dr. Van Vliet found that only 13% of the phytonutrients are the same. So that's a total lie, blatant lie. They can't say that. And uh, here's- uh, Talking about uh, fake meat in particular? Well, certain plant-based ones. And what that's showing, okay, it's not saying the plant-based is bad. It's just saying you cannot say that it's the same as beef because it's different. And here's why. A plant- is grown in place. That plant can't move, right? It's in the soil, it's not. So it has access to only those nutrients provided at that point in place in the soil, okay? Now it'll get more nutrients if your soil's healthier because of mycorrhizal fungi moving, but it can't move around. Whereas a grazing animal can go select from a hundred different plants. So it actually has a much, much wider array 
of phytonutrients than does that plant. So to stimulate our gut microbiome and provide our gut microbiome with the widest array of phytonutrients, you're going to get that from a, a, a pastured protein-based diet, whatever that may be, okay? And, and it's kind of like this. I ask people, okay, how many different plants do you consume in a day? Okay, and it might be 12, it might be 20, it depends on, you know, most uh, uh, consumers are woeful in the variety of their diet, you know, it's corn and soy based, which is pretty poor, okay, but it's very limited. And you compare that to one of uh, that includes both plants and, uh, you know, vegetables, fruits, pastured proteins, you're going to get a much, much wider array of phytonutrients. And you, there's no way to get those phytonutrients from a pill. You're not going to do it. It has to be from the plants and animals themselves. So that's the importance then when we bring regenerative agriculture into the human diet and start thinking it in context, we're going to have a much wider array of phytonutrients in healthier soils. So my, my whole point is Consumers need to source their food from health farmers that have healthy soil. But how can we get the markets to kind of price this in effectively, or at least create the demand we would need to allow these practices to grow large, mm -hmm. large scale, like the gross factory farms or the soy and corn that isn't having yep. nutrients? Yep. Excellent question again. And uh, you, you're lining me up for a segue into Regen Verified and the importance of that, because that's what we're going to verify. We're going to take the work that Dr. Van Vliet, Dr. Provenza, Dr. Kronberg are doing as they study these phytonutrients, and they're going to move to human health trials fairly quickly to show that it has a positive impact. So as we get those results, we'll be able to educate the medical community. And then as Regen Verified verifies that the soils and ecosystems, these foods are being grown and raised in and on are truly that way, we'll be able to offer that to consumers with the, that Regen Verified stamp of approval, so to speak. And that then will allow consumers to uh, source those. Now, we already have a number of very large uh, food companies that are following this closely and are working with us on pilot projects. So that's exciting because they understand that consumers are demanding this. And so they want to get ahead and be able to offer those products that can be verified as being produced regeneratively. Gabe, you're like the Elon Musk of, of soil health. Like you're, you're teaching people, you're doing it yourself. You're creating <laughs> tested methods. He's building tunnels. He's building rockets. He's building cars. Uh, it's yeah. yeah it's, but it, I, I don't have the billions of Elon Musk and, and I, I don't need it. You know, to me, that's not what's important. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I mean, people talk a lot about his money, but I really I appreciate the the impact that he's having on society. And that's why I chose to compare him to you, because he's you know, he's revolutionizing transportation. Of course, he's doing the Neuralink stuff as well, which is necessary. But like I just made that comparison because yeah, you're doing all the stuff with soil health. It's uh, it's really cool. Um, so you mentioned you're working with some large food companies. Um, what are like some of the biggest issues with the current like big agriculture model? And do you think it's mm-hmm. possible for them to transition into this regenerative uh, way of doing business? Well, you asked some very good questions and I appreciate that. It makes it very enjoyable and easy for me. Um, realize that today we have a food systems that's braced almost entirely on price. Keep the price low, okay? And that come about of the food lines in the 1930s, you know? Yep. Uh, nothing stirs up a people than if they're hungry and not, not well-nourished. And so went down this path after World War II, the industrial model when, when munitions plants were converted to fertilizer plants and that grew more. But at the direct expense of our soil and of nutrient density. And, and uh, that has led in my mind, as I said earlier, to uh, this human health crisis that we have today. So what needs to be done is that we have to, as a society, start thinking of food as preventative medicine. And I'll use myself as an example, okay? I travel extensively last year, even with COVID, I was on 242 flights. Okay. If somebody's going to get sick, it's going to get be me. Right. I mean, I'm exposed to nothing but airports, airplanes, conferences, you know, hundreds of different people every day. Yet Gabe Brown rarely gets sick. You know, I don't sleep. You said you sleep for two hours. Yeah. I don't (laughs) sleep much and I, I rarely get sick. It doesn't slow me down. You know, I caught COVID, uh, uh, let's see, it was announced in March. I actually had it in February before it was announced. Didn't slow me down, just kept. And yeah, I was probably one of those evil spreaders. You know, I just kept working because it's (laughs) not going to slow me down. Why? Because I have a healthy gut microbiome. I, I primarily only eat food that is grown and raised on our ranch. Okay. We do buy some, obviously I can't produce a whole lot of fruit here in North Dakota. So I buy some, but the fact of the matter is very careful about what I put into my gut. So, so because of that, I have a healthier gut microbiome. I just don't worry about the ability of my gut microbiome to ward off these viruses. We have to think of food in that regard. If we eat nutrient dense food, Think of all the ancillary benefits. We're going to be healthier, less sick days for us, less medical costs, which is huge. Look at look at what's happened, you know, medical costs here over the last four years have skyrocketed, you know. So we have to take this into account and we have to really realize the true value of food. Now, people might say, oh, but but, you know, we can't afford to pay more for food. Well, what if, okay, we have less healthcare costs, less sick days, and you think of all that, we can maybe afford to pay a little more for food when you figure the total real value of it. So what we're working on is how do we put all this value 
into food and food is valued as preventative medicine. People, they think about it, but they, they willingly go and pay high costs for, for um, drugs and, and uh, prescriptions. Well, what if you don't have to do that? What if you can just go to a supermarket, buy food that's grown and raised in, on these regenerative farms and ranches, and then that in turn helps you become much healthier and lowers all these other costs. And plus you feel a lot better. Plus, not to mention what we're finding, and I contend that, that very few in society have truly eaten nutrient-dense food. Okay, once your body does, you consume a lot less of it because your body's satiated, it's full. You no longer eat these copious amounts that, because the reason oftentimes people overeat is their body's telling them this isn't satisfying me, it's not enough. I'm not getting all these phytonutrients I need. So that's where we're going with this is we have to get to a production model. A, farmers and ranchers have to be rewarded to farm and ranch regeneratively in order to uh, change the health of our soils and ecosystems. And by so doing then, these large companies will then be able to source the quantities they need to run their supply chains. And then it'll, it'll go to the consumers and the consumers will benefit as well. It's a long answer, but that's, it's not an easy, uh, short topic. No, and I'm going to give you one more thing before we go that I'm sure you don't have the answer to, because everything you said makes sense. It sounds great. I'm, I'm, I'm fully with you. Um, I, I really focus on my health and eating nutrient-dense food. If I can, I'm working on just eating all local food moving mm -hmm. forward great. now. But the issue, like I said, you don't have the, probably don't have the answer to this. The issue is that the large pharmaceutical companies who are some of the biggest lobbyists in the country mm -hmm. don't want people to become healthy. They, they profit off of our system right now. So I, 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 I wanted to ask you, how do we, you know, combat that? I suppose big ag is not making money from people being unhealthy. So maybe big ag could combat big pharma in this way and, and adopt all these practices that you're talking about, or this way of looking at things. Yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm, Fully convinced the answer to that is education. If the consumer demands it, the change will occur. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I was giving a presentation once in Champaign, Illinois, and it was to a group of professionals, doctors, lawyers, accountants, etc. And I was talking about this very thing. And this doctor stood up at the end, they were asking me questions, and he says, But Gabe, you have to realize I make my living writing prescriptions. And I just, you know, those who know me, I'm just going to tell it like I see it. And I said, but did you not also take an oath? You know, they took an oath to, to uphold people's health, you know, and, and how healthy is that? It's a change of mindset. I, uh, my son-in-law is a dentist. And I asked him, in all your eight years of getting your degree, how much time was spent on nutrition? And he laughed and said, less than an hour. You know, point I'm trying to make is you don't know what you don't know. 
And so by working with these doctors we're working with, and there's many good ones out there who really understand the importance of these phytonutrients, the importance of, of feeding our gut microbiome, we educate them, we educate the medical community, we educate consumers, and it won't matter what big pharma wants. It won't matter because consumers, just like yourself eating local, and I'm glad you mentioned that, I believe everybody should eat local because that's going to be the best for your gut microbiome, okay? That's what we need to do. And we need to start with ourselves, take responsibility ourselves, and then that will drive the change that's needed. You give me hope, man. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I, I appreciate it. Um, and as we were talking, I had never, I'm thinking about a lot of these issues. I hadn't come up with a way for or idea, an idea. I'm always coming up with ideas in my mind for large businesses to produce local. But I, I did, as we were talking, think of an idea where um, large businesses could set up local hubs in different towns and produce all the food and do all the distribution, cut out the supply chain. I could see a world where, where a large business that cares for people does that. And of course, I'm all about supporting local businesses like your mm -hmm. own as well, yeah. but just an idea. Yeah. If I may on that, we've actually had a number of inquiries and, and working with where they're starting these micro communities. So it's community within a community. And in that there's spaces for gardens, for for pastured proteins, you know, there's perennial fruit and nut trees. And so that micro community will grow their own food there in that space. And we actually do have some businesses that are interested in setting up these micro type communities to do just that. So it's exciting. It's coming never fast enough for me, but it's coming. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Gabe, it's, it's been great having you on the show, man. I always love to ask people what advice they have for the up and coming generation. Yeah. The advice I have is make a difference, you know, make a difference in your own life and those who surround you. And if we all just start there, you know, you lead by example and you start there and, and move forward and the world will change accordingly. But that, you know, it's like throwing that stone in a pond, that ripple effect. You've got to start. And, and I think each one, it's incumbent on each one of us to be that start. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Take it upon yourself. Well, you heard it here, folks. Gabe, thanks so much for coming on the show. It, it's been an absolute blast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. See you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Climate. Here at Climate Change Realty, we don't just donate 50% of our net commissions to fight climate change. We also donate a full 50% of our real estate referrals. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.